This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about progressive victories in the elections in Los Angeles, the biggest county in the nation with 10 million people. For that, we turn to Jody Armour. He's the Roy Crocker Professor of Law at USC. He's been all over the media talking about protests and Black Lives Matter on NBC, CBS, ABC, MSNBC, the NPR stations here in L.A. Now he's got a new book out. It's on race, language, unequal justice, and the law. Jody Armour, welcome back. And tell us the title of your new book. Great to be back with you, John. In asterisk GGA theory, a.k.a. nigger theory. Okay. And we got into a good conversation about that blood-stained epithet earlier. So, you know, um, we'll, we'll come back to it another time. So, L.A. County, 10 million people, has elected a new district attorney, George Gascon. He got 54% of the vote. Tell us why this is important. It's monumental. It's jaw-dropping. If you asked me 10 years ago if a moment like this was possible in 2020, I would have bet my house on it not being possible, uh, uh, John. That is how really a foundational the shift has been over the last five or six years in a number of cities from traditional prosecutors to progressive prosecutors. And George Gascon is in the mold of a progressive prosecutor. One of the first times I heard of it, I thought it was an oxymoron, contradiction in terms, made no sense to me uh, before I brought Larry Krasner out here to talk to my class from Philadelphia. He was elected to the DA, head DA position there. He has an office of 300 DAs, um, having never prosecuted a case in his life, only been a public defender and defense attorney and running on the following platform in cash bail, in police misconduct and address mass incarceration, and he got 75% of the electorate to support for him to, to, to support him in the general election. Chase Boudin up in San Francisco, also a progressive prosecutor, also uh, coming from a public defender background, but the biggest crown, the biggest jewel, the crown jewel in the whole uh, criminal justice movement when it comes to progressive prosecutors by far is the LA office. It's by far the largest DA's office that has 1,200 prosecutors who are going to report to Gascon and the policies that come out of your office fundamentally shape what criminal justice looks like, how full the prisons are, how full the jails are, who's tried um, for um, capital punishment. Everything turns on the prosecutor. It's the linchpin of mass incarceration. And this is a major, major breakthrough. The campaign in Los Angeles to replace the previous district attorney, Jackie Lacey, was initiated by Black Lives Matter. They have been working on, how, how long has Black Lives Matter been demonstrating outside Jackie Lacey's office? Three years, every Wednesday, you know, week in, week out. And John, what's so remarkable is Black Lives Matter really blew up as a national movement and became, you know, kind of generational in its scope and ambitions around 2014, 15, 16, there was quite a bit of media coverage. Then the media went away. And the activists kept on 
go organizing. They kept the infrastructure developing. They build more sinews of connection. So even though the cameras weren't there, they were meeting for three years, for example, in a row every Wednesday outside Jack, uh, Jackie Lacey's office. And then when the Floyd, George Floyd protests erupted, they were able to get on that infrastructure to ride that infrastructure that was already in place. And so all those six weeks of the streets roiling with protesters translated into ballot box victories for criminal justice reform. There were probably two main issues people were in the streets about over the summer, John, and both of them, the voters, and both, both sets of issues, the voters of LA heard them loud and clear. The genius of Black Lives Matter is the way they've been able to bring together protest and politics. They've been out in the streets for years, uh, but they've also worked very hard over the last season to get people to vote. Usually organizations do one or the other, and a lot of the more cautious liberals in our world argue that all this street action and all the talk about defunding the police would hurt the effort to bring reform to the district attorney's office. What do you say to these critics now? Yeah, well, defund the police is actually the message was heard by the voters to the extent that they voted in Measure J, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But also the, the voters of LA heard them on Proposition 20 in California, which was an effort to retrench, that is to take back Proposition 47 gains, which had taken a lot of felonies down to misdemeanors. Proposition 20 was a, an effort to get rid of those uh, gains and, and to return those misdemeanors to felonies. And the voters of California rejected that. They gave voting rights to all people who are not now in prison with the um, Proposition 17. So in many ways, they heard loud and clear what uh, the marchers were saying about criminal justice reform. And you know what? Even when it came to systemic racism, which was the other matter they were marching about, there was systemic racism was on the ballot in the form of Proposition 16, the affirmative action proposition. And that was going beyond criminal justice and saying, let's get at systemic racism more broadly through this tool of affirmative action. Most Californians did not go along with that, but most Angelinos did. And most San Franciscans, most of the urban centers, they did um, vote in favor of that systemic response to racism. So the marchers in the street had an enormous impact in how we think about both criminal justice reform and systemic racism. One of the first things that George Gascon did after his opponent conceded was to meet with Black Lives Matter and the families of victims of police shootings. Why is that so significant? It's critically important because the former DA, the outgoing DA, um, refused to make those kinds of gestures to show that you feel the pain and the suffering and understand the loss of victims of police shootings, whether even if those shootings um, are questionable and we, they still have to be resolved, one thing we know for sure, when a police officer shoots a private citizen, that's not just a private citizen shooting another private citizen. 
That is the state shooting that private citizen. That is America shooting that private citizen. One of the things that Charlie Beck said at a police commission meeting I was at a while ago was that if you attack a police officer, you attack America. And I said, okay, Charlie Beck, police uh, chief Beck, I accept that uh, proposition, that logic. By the same token, when a police officer attacks an unarmed black person, that's not just a private individual attacking that person. That is America attacking that unarmed black person. That's America shooting Walter Scott in the back six times. That's America choking Eric Garner to death. And that's America with his knee on George Floyd's neck. You don't get to be America when you're a victim, but you get to be treated just like an ordinary citizen or you want to be when you're a victimizer. And so that is, you know, that kind of shift is really what we're seeing um, happening uh, in the street. I want to ask about George Gascon's priorities. What's at the top of his agenda? At the top of George Gascon's agenda has to be, number one, changing fundamentally how we think about blame and punishment when it comes to ordinary citizens so that we don't we move away from retribution, retaliation, and revenge, which is the moral framework that prosecutors' offices have been embracing for the last 30 or 40 years, and look toward a moral framework, a moral compass that says we're going to zero in on restoration, rehabilitation, redemption, right, and try to find alternatives to the punitive, retributive response to misconduct, to oftentimes social problems that arise out of criminogenic conditions like poverty. And so uh, most importantly, he has talked throughout the election campaign about recognizing the need to engage in that fundamental shift in perspective, that kind of fundamental shift in the moral compass that you use to approach crime and punishment issues. So starting there, but then more practically, right off the bat, ending capital punishment prosecutions. You know, Jackie Lacey was continuing to prosecute people uh, on cap for capital punishment, um, even though Gavin Newsom, the governor, has a moratorium on capital punishment in, in, the, in the state, and the voters of L.A. have voted against capital punishment when it's been on the ballot. The state hasn't, but the people of L.A. have, but she was going the other direction, so he's going to end capital punishment right off the bat, um, which is an important symbolic and substantive move to make. And then really think about seriously police accountability, because he knows one of the reasons he's there is because Jackie Lacey seemed to be very reluctant to bring um, criminal prosecutions against police officers, even when there was damning video evidence, like um, in Marlene Pinnock's case, the woman who was beaten on the side of the road and videotaped, and we all saw the videotape, but Jackie Lacey's office said, no, it's not sufficient evidence to raise a tribal issue of fact. So he'll have to grapple with those kinds of accountability questions when it comes to police misconduct, and he's going to be under a lot of scrutiny. And there's one other thing that he's talked about. He promises that he will prosecute environmental crimes. And he says, environmental justice is racial justice. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, environmental justice is racial justice. And how we think about crimes is so important. He's shining a light on that, right? There are, if you go in and you take a loaf of bread, you can wind up in jail for years. But if you defraud your customers or people you're lending money to, it seems like you can just fail upwards and, and, and actually enjoy a uh, uh, even better uh, lifestyle. So what he's saying is we're going to go after those environmental crimes that cause as much harm, if not more oftentimes, than street crime because of all the cancer, all the morbidity, 
all of the mortality that comes from environmental toxins that are being poured in the environment in, in violation of the law, but the violators aren't being held accountable. And those, those sites of, um, of pollution are disproportionately close near in proximity to minority neighborhoods. That's where the environmental racial justice piece comes in. Um, you know, those lives are seen as more expendable by policymakers. So they allow factories and other, you know, kinds of units that spew a lot of uh, toxins and pollutants to locate near those neighborhoods. And he's talking about going after those uh, folks and holding them accountable. Now we need to talk about L.A. County Proposition J. Kind of a boring name, but kind of a big idea. You said a moment ago, this is a part of defunding the police. It got 57% of the vote in L.A. County. This is about shifting resources away from the police. Tell us what it will do. Yeah, really interesting. At a time when nationally there's a debate about whether defund the police costs politician seats um, nationally, here you see voters getting behind a proposition aimed explicitly at reallocating resources away from incarceration and carceral responses and toward alternatives uh, like mental health, social services, job interventions, housing interventions. They want 10% of the budget. And we're talking about a budget that's upwards of, of unrestricted county funds. So of those unrestricted county funds, we're talking about upwards of eight, $9 billion. So 10% of that is not peanuts. All right. And it's going towards alternatives to incarceration. They're saying what the people in the streets were saying all through the summer is we need to rethink public safety. Public safety isn't just do we apprehend people who commit crimes uh, at the back end, but do we spend on health and housing and schooling so that people don't turn to crime in the first place. You can prevent crime by lifting people out of criminogenic conditions. And that's what this proposition is aimed at doing. Statewide, we have been worried for a long time about the power of the police unions and the prison guards unions. They have been one the biggest enemy, really, of meaningful reform, criminal justice. But statewide voters defeated the initiative put forward by the police unions and the prison guards, Prop 20, defeated it big, 62 to 38. You mentioned this a moment ago, but let's just go back and see what were the police unions and the prison guards pushing for and what did the voters refuse to go along with? Yeah, what does it say, John, that the voters are so far ahead of the lawmakers on these criminal justice reform issues? What it says is that the lawmakers are beholden to a lot of law enforcement interests. Those campaign contributions, they gave seven to $10 million to Jackie Lacey's campaign, for example, law enforcement interest. And so it's, real, it's telling that the voters are so far ahead of the lawmakers on these issues. Proposition 20 was an effort to, again, take something the voters had decided on, that is that we need to take felonies and knock a lot of them down to misdemeanors if they involve low-level, nonviolent property crimes like shoplifting and the like. We don't need to be treating a lot of those as felonies, rather as misdemeanors. Let's ratchet them down. And law enforcement interests were saying, you know, making apocalyptic predictions about how all 
you know, hell was going to break loose if we did that. And it didn't happen. The voters of California looked at it, listened to their rhetoric and rejected retrenchment on criminal justice reform in Proposition 20. So it was across the board, John, a jaw-dropping victory for progressives and criminal justice reform at the local level. And in marked contrast to what you see going on at the national level, when, you know, um, Joe Biden was asked to defund the police, he said $300 million more million for the, the police. You know, nothing fundamentally will change. Rather than that kind of politics, you saw a very different kind of politics play out here at the local level here uh, in, in Southern California. And let's talk about Joe Biden for another minute here. I think we're assuming that these uh, lawsuits that the Trump administration and the Republicans are bringing are not really going to get anywhere. The big problem to me is what is the remedy they seek? The votes are there to make Biden president. So there's no remedy that's going to change the total number of votes here. So really, we need to focus on Biden, Biden's Justice Department, Biden's attorney general. I can see your, uh, you have some concerns about this. I have some concerns because uh, the people in the street were marching about criminal justice reform. And we have two people at the top of the ticket for the Democrats who are not associated with criminal justice reform. Although, you know, now we'll see how they're going to respond to uh, some of the, 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 the uh, pressure from the grassroots who put them in office in some critical places around the country. Um, but I'm, I'm just chasing the little um, John by remembering 92 and the elation that was felt around Clinton coming into office. And then he turned around, that's where the 94 crime bill came from. He took the scissors to that social safety net program, FDR's welfare as we know it. He, you know, like only um, Nixon could go to China. It took a Democrat to come in and take the scissors to that program. We won't talk about labor and NAFTA and all the rest. So I, 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 I wait, I worry, I wonder about the policy. I wanna see the policy first. And one thing we saw here in LA is that, you know, there's no cult of social identity. Jackie Lacey was a black woman who was unseated by somebody who was not a, a black person, but who represented black interests better than the, the person whose social identity was black woman. And so we, I think, you know, sophistication beyond the politics of pigmentation is certainly what we've seen on the ground here locally in LA. And I think it's gonna be a growing sophistication across the nation. Jody Armour, his new book is N-Word Theory. Jody, it's been great talking to you today. Always, John, thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.